As we turn our hearts and minds to scripture, let us pray. God of new beginnings and new life, open your word to us in new ways this day. Amen. The first lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 2, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of Jews? For we observe the star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Then he sent the wise men to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, quite a bit further along in the Gospel story. Then Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and then be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their life? This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I haven't been able to say it to each and every one of you yet, so Happy New Year. It's that time of year when just about anything feels possible, I think, when even if just for a fleeting moment, the curiosity and anticipation of what might still become looms a bit larger than the memory of what has been. That was certainly the case for the Magi, at least, those wise men who followed the star all the way to Jesus. And that makes them an excellent partner in this new sermon series, Things Jesus Never Said. 
If you've read the Gospels, even casually, you know that Jesus talked a lot. He said things like, I am the good shepherd, love your neighbor, do not be afraid, pray for your enemies, forgive those who wrong you, do not let your hearts be troubled. And yet sometimes, despite everything he did say, we wind up giving him credit for things he didn't. Things like, God helps those who help themselves. Money is the root of all evil. God needed another angel. Everything happens for a reason. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Now that's just a short list. We could keep going. One of the churches I served previously had once upon a time, long before I had been with them, done a Lenten devotion or study or some such thing thematically centered around the footprints poem. That's the poem that includes a person walking along the beach with Jesus and observing two sets of footprints, except at times noticing there's only one set. Why, the narrator asks the Lord, you said you would be with me always. And in the poem, Jesus replies back, well, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That is a beautiful sentiment, and it reflects very sound theology. But those folks had heard that poem spoken in church so much that more often than not, when I would meet with a family to plan a memorial service, they would ask if we could read the footprints section of scripture. And I would have to say that we could include the poem, but we would need scripture from the Bible too. Now, I'm not mocking this. The idea that God carries us through some of our hardest moments is theologically and biblically sound. It's just that Jesus never actually says those particular words. And if we are to be people who love him and follow him, knowing what he didn't say is just as important sometimes as knowing what he did. Because there are occasions, as we'll see in some of these coming weeks, that the statements that become attributed to Jesus can reflect truly harmful messages about who God is and how God is in relationship with us. That will be in later weeks, though. Today we celebrate Epiphany and the wise men who followed the star all the way to Jesus which reminds us, of course, of the many times Jesus himself says, follow me. But Jesus never says, follow your heart. He knows our hearts are important. He even cares deeply for them. He just never suggests we should follow them. Now remember again with me that Jesus was a very good, very faithful Jew which meant he knew that the Hebrew understanding of the heart, which is actually quite similar to our current understanding of it, the Hebrew people and the Hebrew scriptures and by extension Jesus knew that yes, of course, the heart was an organ of the body 
that yes, of course, the heart was essential for life. But really and truly, when the Hebrew people spoke of the heart, they were not talking in medical terms. They were talking about the part of us that holds our emotion, the center of our being that responds to things with feeling. And with that in mind, I suspect you might agree that while it makes our hearts incredibly important, it also means they aren't entirely reliable. That's why Psalm 139, a psalm that Jesus surely would have known, a psalm that is often cited as tremendously comfortable, ends this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. And that's why Jesus, when some people bring him a man in need of healing, but then they go on to think to themselves that he might be going about it the wrong way, he says out loud, why do you think evil in your hearts? And then later in talking with his own disciples, they were debating which foods were clean and which foods were unclean. And he says, whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile. It is what comes out of a person that defiles. It is from within. It is from the human heart that evil intentions come. Theft, murder, avarice, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, and pride. But then again, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And he says that because he knows that a lot of times our hearts are troubled and afraid and our hearts are good. That's why he comments on them as much as he does. He affirms that they are good. He just knows they aren't 100% reliable when it comes to making decisions about our lives and actions. Our emotions and our feelings can sometimes lead us astray. A lot of times what the world lauds as following your heart is a sort of code for doing whatever it is you really want to do or doing whatever it is that makes you happy. And that's not bad in and of itself. I believe that Jesus wants desperately for us to be happy, that Jesus longs for us to know joy abundantly. But I am also convinced that to Jesus, our deepest happiness and our greatest joy comes from living a life of discipleship from following him even when it is hard to do. The second scripture reading this morning makes that clear. Whoever wants to follow me, Jesus says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That does not sound fun, but it does sound faithful. And those wise men and the shepherds, everyone who follows the star, they don't actually do it with excitement and jubilation. The shepherds, when they go, scripture tells us they are terrified. 
King James likes to be more poetic. He says that they are sore afraid. And the Magi themselves, the passage says that all of Jerusalem is frightened. That includes those wise men. And yet, they all follow the star, the sign that is given to them by God. So two brief observations about this that may be instructive. The first is that we have come to call them the three kings, but in truth, the Bible simply refers to them as wise men. They were almost certainly astrologers, people whose job it was to watch the stars and observe what was happening in the heavens. And their star, the star about which we just sang, twice it's referred to as the star they had seen at its rising. Not the star they finally noticed when they stopped being distracted, or the star that crashed down out of the sky and landed right at their feet. It's the star they had seen at its rising. The star in this story is a bright, shining manifestation of God's presence and guidance. That star would have been there whether they noticed it or not. And they are able to follow it because they have been paying attention to it all along. Following Jesus is something like that. It is easier the longer we have been doing it. It's something that becomes more natural with time and practice. It's not something we do instantly and perfectly. When we pay attention to Jesus, to his story, his scripture, his teachings, the more we pay attention to all of that, the easier it is to follow him. And second, you may have noticed that those wise men don't know where exactly they are going. They are following a star, not a 14-day itinerary with every rest stop marked and every obstacle predicted. I should make a joke here about men and directions, but I'm not even sure how. <laughs> but they set out and they travel, one step after another, until they stop at the place where Jesus was. And then they go home another way entirely. It takes courage to follow something or someone when you aren't sure where you're going. I can't count the number of times someone has said to me, I don't know what to do. It is almost, but not quite as high as the number of times I have thought to myself, I don't know what to do. The very best wisdom I have heard in such moments, in addition to prayer, is just take one next step. Just do one next right thing. You don't have to chart the entire course. You don't have to know how to handle every potential challenge or defeat every possible foe. And at the beginning of any journey, you don't have to be able to climb every mountain. Just take one next right step. We don't actually know when the wise men left or how long it took them to get there. 
What the story tells us is that they got there. And when Jesus says, follow me, well, not only do we have a giant book of instruction, we have a whole host of disciples sharing the journey with us. And I, for one, find that tremendously reassuring. In recent years, some churches have adopted the practice that I shared with our children a few minutes ago of receiving star words on Epiphany. Now, we have prepared stars for all of you. A star word is one given to you at random, and the practice goes that that word can be considered a gift from God to be held in your heart, in your being, in your prayers, in your actions for the year ahead. You are encouraged to contemplate and reflect on that word throughout the coming months. And it may be that you encounter it in ways you expect and in ways that surprise you. It is a chance to practice following a star of our own, a chance to practice following where Jesus would lead us, the one who is the light of the world. I will have a big bucket of stars at the narthex door. John will have some at the sower's chapel. And we will reach in and select one for you at random. And if you are joining us online, send me an email or a text, and I'll send you a picture of one. Now, I have already been asked in anticipation of this, can I swap out my word if I don't like what I get? <laughs> I appreciate the way you're thinking through this carefully, but no, you cannot. We will happily give you a second word, or even a third if you are very concerned, but you have to keep them all. Each of those words can guide us in a variety of ways if we let them. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk, he once endeavored to write a prayer that absolutely anyone could pray, no matter who they were or where they were in their life of faith. So let this be our prayer today and this entire year as we seek to follow Jesus, who is the giver of life and the source of all light. My God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by your right hand, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.